Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Hello, everyone. It's great to be with you on this Palm Sunday. Um, and you know, Palm Sunday is my favorite holy, Christian holy day. What is better than Jesus being revealed as the Lamb of the world? Um, not that everyone who was present, everyone who was involved, if anyone for that matter, understood that that's what was happening. But we know now and we celebrate today that, that Jesus entered Jerusalem as the Lamb. So, you know, I love this day. And you may notice that we don't have palm leaves. And let me just start by telling you, I miss having you all here with me, and I'm sure you miss that too. I'm glad we can meet this way. Um, one thing that the Lord showed me that I want to just share right from the beginning is I believe that it's right that we're doing it this way. And you're going to find out as we go through this morning why I say that. I'll just give you a glimpse. I believe the Lord is calling us not so much to be palm leaf wavers, praisers with palm leaves, but that he's calling us to join us and walk alongside the donkey. And we're going to see, uh, there's a very powerful word for today. Um, before we pray and jump into that, I just want to share one more thing. Um, as is our custom, we are going to uh, share the Lord's Supper with each other today. So I invite, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to pause this video if you're watching or pause the podcast if you're listening and go prepare for yourself um, a few simple elements. The, the bread and the wine. And let me say, I know this might be your first time ever doing that. It might be your first time just, just celebrating the Lord's Supper and remembering him that way in your own home. And let me just put you at ease. It really is okay. The Lord never meant that that was magical. What's magical about that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we're obedient to, to receive that blessing and join him at that supper, it's, it's his presence that is the power of that. So when you pause the tape and you, you go prepare for yourself this meal, it really can be anything. If you don't have bread, it can be a cracker or it can be anything else you can find. And it is really okay. Um, same thing for, uh, for the cup. It can be juice. If what you have is tap water, just bring yourself some tap water. You can just join in and it's the, it's the spirit that makes it powerful. So I invite you to, to pause the tape because I don't want you to have to stop later and prepare for yourself the elements of the meal. So welcome back. Um, I trust that you've prepared what you've got unless you're listening while you're driving or something like that. Um, and now if you would just pray with me, I just want to ask the Lord's blessing over this time. And Lord, we do. We just invite you. We know that it is, it is you uh, that, that is the blessing, that um, the words of life are yours. I know that you have a powerful message this morning, and I invite your presence. We give this time to you. We ask you um, to be all of it for us as we praise you and seek your face on this Palm Sunday. And uh, we ask that you anoint this time, that you are in this with us in a powerful way that touches our hearts. 
And we ask this in faith. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So um, if you'll just join with me, you know, we, we are going to talk about, um, we're going to venture with Jesus on Palm Sunday. And, um, you know, I'm going to begin, if you want to turn there, into Matthew 16. And we're going to start in verse 21. This is a verse, I think we've used this passage several times um, over the last few weeks. And we're going to do it again. And this is just going to set the tone for us to where we're going. And, uh, you know, starting in verse 21, Jesus is speaking and, and um, no, actually, it, it starts and says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. It goes on in verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that's, for, that's the time for him to begin this Passover journey where he's headed to the cross. That he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. And then it says something very critical. It says, but they did not receive him. The people there did not receive him because his face was set for the journey. To Jerusalem and it says and when his disciples James and John saw this they said Lord do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did but he turned and rebuked and said you do not know what manner of spirit you're of for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them now I'm just really I'm just starting here to set a tone Okay, what I want you to notice from this passage, just one more time, is that Jesus has set his face. What does that mean? He's, he's changed. They, they, they have gone through seasons of ministry with him. They've gone and they've ministered to people. They've done great things. They've healed the sick. They've cast out demons. They've taught world-changing messages that we still study and talk about today. But now he has set his face on a specific mission, that the fa- a specific obedience that the Father is calling on him. So much so that we just read that the people quit receiving him. Why? Why do they quit receiving him? They are, they are into the benefits of the kingdom. You know, the word of God says that, um, says that where Jesus is, the kingdom is, if that makes sense. Everything that he preached, everything that he taught, was that the kingdom is upon you. The Spirit of God in Jesus uh, was bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth just as he tells us to pray. And they have been receiving these benefits. They have been enjoying the presence of Jesus in these ways and crowds have been clamoring. But now they stop to receive him because he's entering a new phase of ministry. He's entering a phase where where he is in a very specific obedience. Now, before we even keep moving, I want you to notice that in this, in this new season of ministry, which is, is not long, is, is a week long, the disciples are going with him. It's important to recognize that they're having to make this transition with Jesus. And we're going to begin uh, looking at that. To do that... Uh, 
I want you to turn with me now to Luke uh, chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 28. Of course, it's the passage we would look at today, right? It's the triumphal entry of Jesus. It's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. And we're just going to pull certain things out of this that are going to lead us where we're going. So in verse 28, it says, When he had said this, he, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of, his, two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why are you loosing it, this is what you shall say, because the Lord has need of it. So, first of all, just this is not the main point, but I just can't skip over this. I want you to notice the adventure of the Lord. I want you to notice that he does, he does not think like we think. His ways are not our ways. Wouldn't it have been easy for him just to say, here's some of the money from our treasury box. Why don't go, go rent a colt <laughs> in some customary way? But no, he's, he knows that they need faith just like he knows you need faith. And he provides these moments in our life that are just filled with adventure that are his ways. Go and grab the colt. You, you'll probably find if you, if you read these passages over this week that there are many instances as, they begin to, as the disciples begin to enter Jerusalem with him that he gives them these strange ways to secure a room for them to have the Lord's Supper, like we're going to do today, and various things that he does in God's way. So just notice he calls us to an adventure. But um, <clears throat> go on with me to verse 32, and it says, So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? Just as he'd said, right? And, it, and they said, The Lord has need of him. So they brought him to... They brought him to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt. Now pay attention to these words. And they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Now listen, I want you to notice these words. It says that they set, in very curious words, they set Jesus on him, on the colt. Okay? <clears throat> now notice this. Um, Jesus could have, uh, Jesus could, these words could have said that um, Jesus got on the colt. But that's not what it says, and I think it's very intentional. It's important to recognize um, that they set him. Why is that important? When Jesus was entering Jerusalem, of course, it's in Zechariah 9.9. It's prophesied that he would enter this way. Why is that? This, you know that this is the same way that they have, bring it, they have been bringing the Passover lambs into Jerusalem, that, that they've been doing it this way. What they would do is they would bind the lambs and they would put it on the donkey. And there was a reason they did this. These lambs had to be spotless, perfect, without blemish. So if you had the money to have a donkey, if you had the means, you would, you would bind it and put it on the donkey, you wouldn't let the lamb walk on its own because you didn't want it to get injured or cut or blemished in any way. And 
And so these words specifically say that they set Jesus on the colt. But now also notice with me that Jesus was not bound. Jesus is the lamb of the world that allowed himself to be set on the colt. He was not bound. Go with me to verse 37. And it goes on and says, Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, so, so not just the twelve, but, but the broader group of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for, listen, for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, <clears throat> notice something with me. And um, th- this might be a different way than, than you normally think of this course of events that we just read. Um, there is a controversy going on with Pharisees and even with some of his broader group of disciples. And it's a controversy that Jesus is actually not involved in. Now, let me tell you what I mean. These praising crowds, and it says right in the passage, it says why they're praising him. They have these palm leaves and they're throwing clothes down on the road and they are praising him for the mighty works they had seen. Some of the other gospels literally mention that um, that some of this crowd had come out because Lazarus had just been raised from the dead and they were hoping to see Lazarus as much as they're hoping to see Jesus. So I want you to track with me that one of the things that's going on on the disciples' side of this equation or this controversy that is happening publicly in the streets is that people are praising, but it's very much according to their own agenda. These um, disciples that are waving palms and, and singing out, quoting these prophesied scriptures of Jesus have agenda of their own. They have investment in the world that is causing them to praise. In fact, something very interesting to note is that they are borrowing some of the Roman traditions in this moment. This is the way a Roman soldier would be honored as they enter on their steed. They would throw branches and clothing on the road and, and honor the honorable of, of the Roman soldiers coming back. And so they're borrowing something from the Romans. They're, they're, listen to me, they're praising God, they're praising Jesus uh, for the benefits of the kingdom, not out of an accurate understanding of who Jesus really is and what he's about to do. And then on the other hand, you have the Pharisees in this scene who, who are quite contrary to Jesus. In fact, they're asking Jesus to rebuke the praising disciples because, uh, because Jesus is shattering their, their position, their status. He's shattering the religious ways that they're doing things. So there's this controversy happening in this praising moment that Jesus is actually not even a part of. He's got his face set to a mission that virtually none of this public scene understands what he's about to do. None actually really see the scope 
of what is being revealed in this Palm Sunday moment, that Jesus is entering as the Savior of the world, as the shadow of the lambs have been for years and years and years for this people. Um, So, you know, this is Palm Sunday. Um, This is the time where Jesus is entering. He's he's turned his face to do this. And this is the setting I want to talk about. Um, And now, you know, actually, if if you'll really start digging in with me now, I want to tell you um, how we've led up to where we're going next. Uh, I had a really great plan for Palm Sunday starting about a month ago. I knew what I was going to teach about. It was really... um, it was really blessed and insightful. I was very excited about it. And, and in a month in advance, I have to tell you how strange that is. Um, that usually doesn't happen. Um, the Lord with me, we always kind of talk in the week before, and, and I'm lucky days ahead to really have a handle on what the Lord wants to do during our time together. And, um, and so I was excited about the fact that, you know, I kind of knew well in advance and then earlier this week, um, I woke up from a dream. And I have completely redone, I believe by the Lord's guiding, based off of this dream that I had. And the dream was very vague. Uh, it's, it's nothing really profound for me to share with you. But in the dream, I knew that the Lord had shown me two biblical characters. Uh, and that there was a great tension between them Uh, and it was really that vague there was no narrative to it i just knew which people they were two of jesus's disciples peter and judas and that there was this great tension so that i woke up feeling the tension and uh, as i went to research it all became very very clear to me um, why he'd given me this dream and why the message has become this for this morning but that's exactly what we're going to do we're going to contrast these two people and not just a, a whole contrast of who they are but really a contrast of these two close disciples of jesus that were walking in this time in this moment when he'd set his face to enter jerusalem and was in fact doing that to go there i want you to notice one thing Um, that's in common between these two people. They are walking with Jesus in what I'm going to call the point of no return. And I really believe that's what Palm Sunday is. This is the moment that when Jesus is set on that donkey and rides in, it is the beginning of the Passover festival. It's the beginning of the course of events that are going to lead to the work where Jesus says it is finished. And believe me, Jesus knows it. He knows that he is taking a step past a point of no return, an obedience in the Father that, that you don't come back from. This is the moment where his, his face is set in a way that there's no return. He also knows that he's taken the disciples with him, or at least all who are going to continue with him. So, in other words, um, this is the moment where the disciples, as we've already talked today, the disciples are going from a phase of ministry where they're sharing in the glory, they're doing great things, and it's moving into a time of crisis, personal cost, confusion, 
Does anybody feel like you have moments in your life where, where you're confused? You're not quite sure why we're going this way. I don't even like it this way. Well, I want to tell you, that's what the disciples are going through. They're going through a moment with Jesus, walking with Jesus, where they're headed somewhere where this is not what I pictured. In fact, Jesus, I don't even like the way you're talking about our future and where we're headed right now. Both characters, Peter and Judas, and you can include the other disciples in that number. I don't understand where you're going, Lord. This is confusing, and I don't like it. And you know what I want to tell you before we even jump into to looking at the scriptures is that this moment, the point of no return, that I believe every disciple of Jesus, every one of us who draws close to him, who seeks intimacy with Jesus, we hit points in our walk that are this point of no return that are points where if we keep stepping, we're headed somewhere that is not necessarily our preference. But I also want to tell you that it is exactly those moments that hold out the abundant life that Jesus came to give. So um, let's, let's go and look at Peter. And um, so to go ahead and start turning. If you're actually using your Bibles at home, turn to Luke 22. We're going to start in verse 31. And this is, um, this is a conversation that I have a feeling most of you are going to recognize very well between Jesus and Peter. You're going to find that he, it's going to use his, his given name, his earthly given name, Simon, at points in this. So don't be confused by that. Um, but it's a, it's a very... Um, well-known conversation and we're just going to pull some stuff out of this this is a conversation also that they are having as at this moment just before they they enter together into this point of no return palm sunday so in verse 31 the lord's speaking to peter uh, and says simon simon in other words he says his name twice why does he do that he's saying I want to talk to you about something very serious. I need your full attention. Uh, So he says Simon twice, and then he goes on, he says, Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now listen, it's it's so important that when we study the word of God like this, that we actually... um, we allow ourselves um, to enter into what's actually being said. Like, put yourself in their shoes. Listen to these words. Jesus is saying, he, he's informing Peter with a prophetic word, with a word of knowledge, some of the gifts that we have in the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. He's informing Peter that Satan has asked to put him through great trial. And in fact, that it's going to happen. Now, I'm sure it was intended to be reassuring. Um, don't worry, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> I don't know how reassured Peter was, and I, I really, honestly, I don't know how reassured I would be by those words or how reassured I am in the truth of knowing that in moments like that in my life. But let, let's just recognize those are not easy words. That cannot be a moment that Peter is real excited about. This, this is one of those points of no return that we hit as we walk with Jesus. 
And notice he says, when you've returned to me. In other words, you are going to fall away, is what Peter's being told. He's just getting a promise beforehand, just like we get, that even in your failures, he is capable to draw us back. But still not all that uh, comforting. I wouldn't think, at least in this specific moment. And he gives him instructions, then strengthen your brethren when you return. Now listen in verse 33, Peter's response, and this is really the focus. This is, a, this is a key verse to go into where we're going this morning. In verse 33, Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, he, Jesus, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me uh, three times that you even know me. Now I'm going to do something that I think might be surprising. I want you to notice that, um, you see, we focus on Peter's failure, but here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice just for a moment with me, Peter's heart. Jesus says, Satan is going to be allowed to test you in great trial. Trial so great that you're going to fall away. Peter's heart here says, Lord, I'm going to go with you no matter what. That's what his heart is saying. Whether Even if it's somewhere I don't like, even if it's something I don't understand, even if it's something that confuses me, if it's prison, if it's death, I'm going with you. That's Peter's heart in the passage. Now, you know as well as I do that Peter is going to fulfill every word Jesus says. He's going to walk off and deny Jesus. He's going to fail terribly. But he is going to come back. And, and it's just so important. You know, just for now, I want you to hold that so we can keep walking together. But hold Peter's heart in this moment. That his heart is that I'm with you whether I like where we're going or not. Whether it's confusing to me or not. Whether it matches my preference, I'm with you, Jesus. That's what we see here. Now, in verse 35, I, I have to do this part, and then we're going to move to Judas, okay? And we're going we're gonna to see a, di- a major contrast. But in verse 35, um, it says, And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking again, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? Now, listen, what's he talking about? Previously in the narrative, um, weeks back probably in the narrative, Jesus has sent out the 12 to minister. In, in essence, he loans them the, the anointing of the Spirit of God on what they're about to go out and do. He gives them the power to cast out demons, the power to heal, and one message, the kingdom of God is upon you. In other words, go offer them the kingdom. And they do. Part of his instructions is don't take anything with you. Why does he do that? I'm going to tell you this is a training ground. For the disciples. Thank God for his training grounds. Are you with me? This is a training ground for the disciples, and he is he is illustrating in real time in their participation the provision of the Father. When you're aligned with the purposes of Jesus, with the commission of Jesus, do you know you're sent by him? When you align with that, he wants them to experience with him the provision of the Father over them. And he's what's he doing here? He's reminding them of that. Are you tracking with me? 
And then the next line, it says, so they, in other words, the disciples, they said nothing. I bet they said nothing because they're, you got to keep it in context. They're in a context here where um, this is a hard conversation. I don't think they like any of this conversation. They're thinking, Lord, why don't we go back to Galilee and, and minister to some more crowds? Let's teach some cool things. Let's heal some sick people. What are we doing here? They must be thinking that. So I bet there is a moment of silence in this not-so-comfortable intimacy that the Lord's having with them. And then in verse 36, it says, Then he said to them, But now, so he's about to make a contrast, But now, he who has money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. What's he really saying? I want to tell you that he's contrasting a training ground season that the Lord has in our lives. And he's putting before them, he's saying, he's saying, disciples, you know you're a disciple. He's saying, disciples, now it's go time. We have seasons in our life where he says, you need to pull out all the stops for this one. Everything I've taught you, every intimate moment you've had with me, everything you've learned of what's true about me and how I empower you, Every part of your walk with me, put it in a pack and you're going to need this. He's saying, you know, before I said don't take a sword, but now what's he saying? Spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking, he's saying you're going to need the, the sword of the Spirit now. Take that with you. Take the, it's go time is what he's telling them. And he goes on in verse 37 and says, For I say to you, that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered among the transgressors. He's quoting what's prophesied. Jesus is quoting what's prophesied about him there. And he says, for the things concerning me have an end. Now listen to me. He's basically, he's, he's um, reiterating the context of the conversation to them. He's saying all those things that are prophesied, that I must be put to death and rise again, he, he can tell that that's not their preference. Not at the moment. But he's saying that's, that's what's going to happen. And he goes on and says, um, th- this, this conversation with them ends with Jesus saying, it is enough. They're kind of showing off. I probably shouldn't have skipped that. In verse 38, it says, so they said, Lord, look here, we have two swords. You have to love these guys. They're like, we're ready. We've got two swords, and I'm sure that they're holding physical swords, and he's talking about the, the spiritual gear that he's been training them, and he says, it is enough. What's he saying? He's, why can he say that? Jesus has absolute confidence in the provision of the Father, in blessing upon those who are walking in the purposes of God. So there's Peter. Now I want you to hold on to I want you to hold on to what we said. The most important thing we just gleaned there is Peter's heart. Despite his failures in walking it out, Peter's heart is that I'm going with you no matter what. I'm going with you even to the places I don't like, even to the places I don't even understand why you're taking us here, Lord. Now let's look at Judas, okay? If you'll turn with me to John chapter 12, and we're going to start right in verse 1 here, I believe. And here in, uh, here in John 12, let's just start reading. It says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, 
where Lazarus, um, Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he'd raised from the dead. So this Lazarus, Jesus has raised from the dead. Okay, verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So he's having a supper with someone he's raised from the dead. We're going to do that today. Do you know that when you put your faith in Jesus, you're raised from the dead, and he invites you to have supper with him? That's what's going on here. In verse 3, it says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now, I'm going to tell you something. What's, what's going on in this scene does not make any sense, at least not in any kind of worldly sense. It doesn't make any sense. This is just what it said. This is very costly oil. This is not something, unless you were incredibly wealthy, you wouldn't be doing such lavish, lavish and crazy things with it. Spiritually, we know that it makes perfect sense. He's being anointed for the burial, for what he set his face to, to this point of no return that he's just about to head into. So spiritually speaking, it makes sense. Now here's why we're reading this. Verse 4 says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, and Iscariot just really means like bookkeeper or recorder. It's a, it's a name, but it, it's, it's a title name. Okay, He's the treasurer. <laughs> of Jesus's ministry team. And it, so it says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, so it identifies that Judas is going to betray him, says this, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it for himself, basically. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now listen to me. We looked at Peter heading into the point of no return with Jesus. Judas being numbered just like any of the rest of them being numbered right among the 12, is, is in this same moment, point of no return. And I'm going to tell you something. You, you see it in the scriptures, and, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you that you see Peter beginning to drift a different road even before this point, okay? But I think, and I believe to the bottom of my heart, that this is a furious Judas. Track with me. This is a Judas I want to tell you what you're seeing here. Judas is all in with Jesus. All in as long as you're going somewhere I like. As long as, Jesus, you're going somewhere that makes sense to me. As long as we're going somewhere that matches my worldly desires. You see, Judas is invested in the world. It says it right here in the passage. He's very concerned about money. And I'm guessing... I'm not even guessing. Let me just tell you, Judas, um, like those who are praising with the palm leaves in the crowd, he's very interested in a political Jesus. He's very interest in, interested in, in, a, in a Messiah who is going to right the world for him right now and right now in, in his way. 
He very much brings his own agenda. Jesus, I'm with you as long as I understand what you're doing, as long as it doesn't cost me anything, as long as we are going somewhere that matches my desires, even my worldly ones, even my investment. Judas has competing love. That's the bottom line. Judas has a love for Jesus as long as it is beneficial to the competing loves that he has in other things. So now I want you to see this. And, the, and this is so important. If, you, if, you, if there's any moment to track, it's now. We see this contrast. We see um, Peter, who has terrible failures, okay, like I do all the time, has terrible failures, but his heart, his love for Jesus makes a heart in him that says, I'm going no matter what. I'm going if I don't like it. I'm going if I understand or I don't. I'm with you, Jesus, because uh, in other places, he says, uh, where else do I have to go? That's the heart of love that Peter has. And we know Peter's end. Peter, although he falls away and although he comes back, he's numbered among those who are still with Jesus in the upper room after Jesus raises and after the, the Feast of Pentecost when the Spirit comes upon him and Peter is participant in the abundant life. Peter is the one who preaches the first Spirit-filled sermon bringing 3,000 people into the church. That's Peter's end. Did it matter that he had great failures? Not really. Not with our God. Our God's not concerned about our failures. He's concerned about our heart. What's Judas's end? What's Judas's story? He has a self-seeking heart. He has competing loves with Jesus. And, what, and you know, we see a story where he actually has great success. He sets his mind to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and actually has great success in it. He succeeds in his mission over the next week, course of events during the feast of the Passover. We also know that he gets 30 pieces of silver for it. He buys the field and he hangs himself in that field. That's Judas's end. Judas's end is death in all of this. So, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to end this part um, by just telling you that it's also the story of our lives. Um, I'm just going to very humbly tell you, I stand here today and I relate with Judas just as much as I relate with Peter. I have both moments in my walk with Jesus. Uh, I, ha I have my struggles in my life over competing loves just as much as Judas did, I'm sure. I rely on the Holy Spirit to hold me. But, but here's the point. Um, we all, in our intimacy with Jesus, there is no disciple who escapes this. I'm convinced of it. We have moments that he's purposely planned that, that you can call moments of the point of no return. Moments where... He calls us from one season of great and glorious walking with him, full of peace and joys and all the things that are wonderful of the kingdom of God, all the benefits of the kingdom. But then he calls us 
to points of no return, moments like Palm Sunday was for him and his disciples, moments where really it's just mostly confusing to us. And Lord, you're calling me to walk with you into darkness. <laughs> you're calling me to go where I'm, I'm absolutely convinced I don't like where we're going. You're calling me to go places where crowds don't receive you. Um, that is not my preference. And uh, just as he called his disciples to continue with him on this Palm Sunday and through this next week of their lives, we have these moments. But I also promise you this. These are the moments of stepping where you know that if I take one more step in this direction that is not my preference, there is a blessing. There is abund the abundant life that Jesus, is pro that Jesus promises me is one step ahead for me. Even though you know there's also going to be a cost. There's a personal cost. He says, uh, take up your cross and follow me. And it is that point of no return. Um, you know, and it's, it's the difference between, uh, between uh, spiritual maturity and a phase where his love is just so gentle. His love is just so tender. And, and he just, he brings us so gently. And then he brings us to moments like this that challenge us. I'm just going to conclude with this thought before we move to the Lord's table. You know, the question is not, and, and if this is your only takeaway, the question is not whether we're capable of accomplishing what we're called to without failures. And it never will be. Peter's testimony, as recorded in the scriptures, evidences that. The question is whether we're willing to say yes to these points of no return because he's taught us of himself in the wonderful seasons who he is. The question is whether, do we say yes? Do we go with you, whether it's to prison or to death or whatever that, whatever that hard thing in front of us is that wouldn't be our preference at the moment? And so now I invite you, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like to invite you to, to continue to join. We're just going to move to another space so I can sit down with you and we'll have the Lord's Supper. So I'm excited about this. I want to tell you, um, this week uh, in my prayer time, I was convicted that during this time, it's critical that as the body of Christ, we don't sacrifice uh, the deeper moments like this that we we have together as the church so i'm excited that we're going to have the lord's supper and i just want to tell you that um we're about to break all the rules and we're doing it on purpose you know you're not supposed to have moments of silence in a video and uh but we're going to i just want to warn you that we're we're going to have um, a deep time now together as the body of Christ, we get the privilege to do that. And we're going to have moments here as we move forward where we invite the Holy Spirit to speak. Um, there's going to be moments when um, I'm not going to be the focus uh, as we move forward because I'm going to invite you to have uh, moments with the Spirit. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and not focus on the screen, but rather to have a moment with the Lord as we have this supper together. Um, so, but, and I'll lead you through all of that. So, um, if you haven't grabbed your elements,
that you've prepared earlier uh, and you're not driving or something. And so if you're able to participate that way, I would invite you go ahead and pause now and go grab that and bring it over. And, um, and then I'll just pray and we'll move into our time together here. So let me just pray for us. Father, we ask we ask a blessing on this meal. We ask that this would be a moment with you. Even, uh, even as we're in different places, we put our faith that we are gathered as the body of Christ to accept your invitation to have this meal with you. And we thank you for all the ways that you're about to speak, all the ways that you're about to touch our hearts, both in a, in a uni- unified way and in an individual way with each of us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. So, you know, I want to begin um, just by uh, reading a scripture to you. You know, one of the things, uh, one of the first things that Jesus did after that point of no return, after entering, was to sit down and have this very meal that we're about to have together. And uh, I want to read you what he said about it as he led toward the meal. Uh, And this is, you can look later. I actually encourage you now, not necessarily to to turn with me in your Bibles, because mostly I'm going to be inviting you to listen to the Holy Spirit. So, but I... In case you want to look later, this is Luke uh, 22 and verse 14. And it says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And this is what he said. He said, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now what I'd like to do, those those are really impacting words if we take a moment to meditate. And let the Lord speak. So I'm going to invite you now and and really for the duration of the Lord's Supper now, I'm going to invite you to take a posture of receptivity. I believe the Lord's about to meet you right now and what we're about to do. So if you would just find a relaxed position in your chair, maybe you want to turn your palms up uh, in a physical gesture of receiving from him. If you're comfortable with it, you can close your eyes. You may want to take some deep breaths. And the first thing I'm going to do after we do that in a moment is I'm just going to read you these words of Jesus. And then we're going to have some moments of silence. I encourage you, let the Holy Spirit bring those words deep within you because those are words for you. So I invite you to do that now. Take some deep breaths. Close your eyes. And Jesus says to you, with fervent desire, with great desire, I have desired to eat this Passover meal with you. It may be helpful to put your name there with you. And he does desire to do this with you. 
And what he did next was just one of the most intimate moments ever, and he invites you into it. What he did next was he took some bread and he took some wine and he passed it around and he made the most audacious claim. And I invite you to just let all these words as we move forward soak deeply within you. He said, this bread is my body and this cup is my blood. And just next he says, it's freely given. Jesus willingly gives it for you at no cost to you. Everything else has a cost, but this grace is free. And still with your eyes closed, still relaxed in the spirit, I want to read another scripture. It says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. It is the spirit's work. It is a miracle to have an awareness and know the things that are freely given. I invite you just to take a moment. I'm going to give you moments of silence to meditate on those words. All of this is freely given because he's desired to do this with you. And now I invite you, go ahead and take whatever you've gathered is the body of Christ for yourself this morning that's freely given. Whatever bread, whatever you've gathered, receive that now. Go ahead and partake. Stay right where you're at. Stay in the spirit. And I invite you to let the Lord bring, bring pictures or feelings as we talk about the next part of what happened at this table. The craziest thing happens next. Jesus announces that someone at the table betrays him. And it causes Judas to leave the table. And then... Jesus concludes the meal by taking the last cup of the meal. And he says these words. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestows one upon me. Now, just as we talked about today, you are the ones who continue with him in his trials. You go with him even to places you don't like. I speak these words of life over you. And I invite you now, just take a minute. Let the Holy Spirit speak. 
as I speak these words over you. These are words for you. Jesus says to you, I bestow a kingdom upon you. And I invite you now to take up the cup. Whatever the Lord has provided for you to participate, take that now and receive the blood of Christ that is freely given for you. And I invite you now, go, you can go ahead and look at me now. And I just want to close with some thoughts. Um, you know, we have the moments of the point of no return. And I believe the Lord just offers us this. He says, you know, are you fed up with the world yet? Have you had enough with what's offered there? You know, there's, there's something, I believe, for some of us. Um, some of us are at that point where he's been offering something. He's been inviting you to go with him somewhere. And yet, it f might feel like it's just a step too far. Um, I'm confused about why we're going this way. Or it feels like there's going to be a great cost to me if I go that way. I don't necessarily like stepping this way with you, Lord. But he has, um, you know, he only ever wants to offer abundant life. And, and he has that for you. And so I just want to conclude this morning for, for anyone where you say, that's me. I think that's me. I want to conclude this morning by just, by just concluding in prayer and, and praying that there is a release of the Spirit for that, that you'd be empowered to step. And so will you just pray with me? I thank you, Lord, that it is your desire to give us everything, to give us abundant life, that, um, that you do call us to moments, to points of no return. You do call us to times when we have great opportunity to just take a step with you. And I ask in the authority of your name right now for, for every person viewing, every person listening, who is saying to themselves right now that I believe that's true about me. He's asking me to step and I've been resisting. I ask for a release of your spirit, for an anointing over that in your name, Jesus, in the grace of this meal that we have with you now, that you would bestow the kingdom upon you in a very upon them in a very real way that that blessing would be released in the, in their life give them the courage in the name of Jesus to take the step give them the faith that you are good that although it might appear dark and although it may not seem like their preference at the moment that that you would give them a great clarity that life is only in you and a great resolve 
that they'll go with you anywhere because they have that faith. Will you grant a miracle that they would have powerful faith like that? And that they could just take that step. I ask these things in your name, Jesus. And we love you with no competing love. Above all things, we love you, Jesus. And we honor you on this day, Palm Sunday, the day that you were revealed as the Lamb of the world that has all things to offer that are freely given to us, your disciples, that get to have all of your love. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for for joining and, uh, and making this a special Palm Sunday for me. Thank you.